Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 367. It's not Christmas until you see Hans Gruber fall from the Nakatomi Tower. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to a special Christmas edition of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Today's show is also sponsored by the Newport Beach Film Festival. The Newport Beach Film Festival invites you to Orange County, California, where the past attendance of the festival was over 58,000 film geeks, enthusiasts, and cinephiles during a week-long festival that runs from April 23rd to the 30th. The submission deadline is December 20th, and you can submit through Film Freeway or at NewportBeachFilmFest.com. Now, before we get started, I want to thank you guys all again for such support on my new book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. It is, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed at what you guys have been saying, your reviews, messages, posts on social media. I really, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so, so much. And also thank you for the lovely response to the new trailer for my new film, On the Corner of Ego and Desire, which comes out January 21st, 2020, everywhere. And I'll be talking more about that. There'll be some more clips being released over the next few weeks into the release date right before Sundance. So thank you guys so much. If you want to check that trailer out, head over to egoanddesirefilm.com. Now today we have a special, special Christmas edition of the Indie Film Hustle podcast because I am here to put to rest once and for all the greatest debate in cinema history. 
is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I say yippee yes. <laughs> I believe that Die Hard is by far the greatest Christmas movie of all time. But other people out in the world, I don't know who these people are, but they believe that it's not even a Christmas movie, let alone the greatest of all time. So today we brought on a guest, a returning champion, Stephen Follows, who if you guys know from my past episodes with him, he is an insane man from England who loves to dig into film industry data to find everything out you can about what's going on in the film industry. So he put this lens, this data-driven lens onto Die Hard to truly see if the data proves once and for all that it is a Christmas movie. We can debate whether it's the greatest Christmas movie or not. That's another question. And we might talk about a little bit of it in this episode. But in this episode, we're going to check the data and see once and for all if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, this is not my normal episode, but I thought it'd be good to have a fun episode every once in a while because there's been a lot of heavy stuff going on over the course of the last six months to a year with the distributor debacle and all sorts of other things going on. And I just wanted to put a little levity into the holidays. So this is a super, super fun episode. We are going to geek out. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Stephen Follows. I'd like to welcome back to the show returning champion, Stephen Follows. How are you doing, sir? Uh, very well, thank you. It's nice to know I won on my previous uh, appearances. You uh, are, nice you, yes, you are. You are a returning champion, sir. There's a, there's a handful. There's a club of guests who get to come back uh, multiple times on the show, there, and it's a small club, believe it or not. There's not many people that I bring back on the show, even after they've been on. But as as I continue to grow my numbers, as far as episodes are concerned, I got to keep finding people to come on. You've got to find people who want to come back on as well. Because remember, there might have been people that have been on the first time who've gone, you know what, I'm not doing that again. You know, <laughs> I haven't, I, mean, I haven't, I haven't, I have not heard that yet, sir. I hope that never happens. So. Oh, I can give you a list. They email me. <laughs> they email you. Who's this guy? I swear to God. <laughs> so I wanted to do this kind of special Christmas episode. This is something I've never done in the history of the show before. And it was, and we actually came up with this idea the last time you were on the show, after after we were done recording your last episode, we sh- I think, I don't know whose idea, if it was yours or if it was mine, but it was like, hey, we should do an episode on why Die Hard, argue the point that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. I'm like, yes, we need to do this. So, um, so we, shall we jump right into it, sir? What is your, yeah. hy- what is your thesis uh, in regards to uh, Die Hard being uh, the best, f- I mean, arguably, I mean, I'm not even... I'm not, I mean, there's Elf, there's It's a Wonderful Life, um, well, I, there's many other things. I like films. how you're jumping in as in like you're, you're already sentencing the person, assuming they're guilty, and you, <laughs> you have to put up a case. There has to be a prosecution, there has to be a defense, absolutely. and there has to be an independent witness, and you are absolutely not an independent witness. I, uh, <laughs> I'm an independent so, filmmaker, but not an independent no. witness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Indian indie film hustle has nothing to do with your independence on this topic. Yes, topic. sir. Um, so, all right, well, you're, you're, let's not run before we can walk. Is it a Christmas movie? Let's do, let's figure that out. And then let's talk about how we might figure out if it's the greatest Christmas movie, if we indeed decide it is a Christmas movie. Okay. Because believe it or not, that is not the most obvious thing in the world. Or at least there are many people who uh, do not believe it is a Christmas movie. Including Bruce Willis. 
Willis. Bruce Willis says it's not a Christmas movie. But, yeah, uh, but he, he says I, it's a Bruce Willis movie. So I, I, I don't think he's – he hasn't got a deep thesis there. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have a very independent point of view either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis talking about Bruce Willis in Bruce Willis movies. Yeah, independent isn't the strong word that comes to mind. I think I should so, start uh, – first of all, I think I should start talking about myself in the third person more often. So like I think Alex Ferrari believes that uh, this is an Alex Ferrari <laughs> podcast. So Alex Ferrari believes that it's – uh, it's the best Christmas movie for Alex. Well, Ferrari. surely you're the one person in the film industry who has not been a guest on your own podcast. So no, I actually, I, 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 I actually have been a guest on my own podcast. I had, I had one wow. tribe. I had a tribe member interview me on my show because they request. He requested, like, can I interview you for you for the tribe on your show? I was like, okay, if you want to. So I had Rob Alicia uh, come on and he interviewed me. So yes, I have been a guest on my own show. <laughs> Wow. Alex Ferrari has been a guest on Alex Ferrari's show. <laughs> well, I'm glad I've been a guest on your show more than you've been a guest on your show, at least. True. That, you yes, know, yes. Iranian champion. Yes. Well, okay. Uh, let me let me start it off by asking you, what, okay, I'm assuming you think it's a Christmas movie. Why do you think it's a Christmas movie? What makes well, it a Christmas movie? Well, before we start, I want to I ask you, I, wanna, I want everybody to know, if you do not know who Stephen Follows is, <laughs> Stephen, I, just because somebody would be like, what, who's this Stephen guy? Why is Alex talking to him? Oh, excuse me, why, why is Alex Ferrari talking to him? So uh, <laughs> so I just want to know, Stephen is, is a, probably, he is a unicorn in our industry. He, there is nobody else like him. Uh, there, he does something that nobody else uh, wants to do, nor has the ability to do, which is <laughs> dig, dig so deep into data for films that, I mean, he's a data cruncher for filmmaker, for filmmaking in general and goes into just obscene minutia in these reports he puts out on these amazing, um, amazing uh, reports about filmmaking and horror reports and all this stuff. So I thought that if there's anybody who can put up an argument for this topic, I thought Stephen would be a perfect guest. Did I miss anything, sir? Would you like to represent yourself in this conversation? <laughs> well, you know, normally uh, my British sense of sort of um, uh, self-effacingness is just making me go, no, 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 I don't go too deep on stuff. But I'll be honest, even I think I went too deep on this topic. Because uh, <laughs> last Christmas, I kind of got carried away. What was, was meant to be like, you know, my articles take me half a day at most, maybe. Some take longer, but then sometimes I build up databases that I can use multiple times and it, it feels much more like a hobby. It doesn't take crazy amounts of time. This one took a crazy amount of time because I kept thinking of new threads and, and also because I happen to be, I don't do a huge amount of teaching just because of time. I'd love to do more, but I was talking to a group of MA students in Birmingham and I had to come up with a topic to talk to them about film data and I wanted to get them interested. And, and I thought, oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie was the topic. I thought well, that would be great because it will allow me to think about movies as we'll talk about later on in different ways. And so I asked them and then they brought up loads of good threads. And then I talked to other people. And every time I answered one part of the question, I'd come up with two other threads. And the only reason that I published the article was in the end was because it was coming close to Christmas. I could still, I would still be working on it today if I could like a year later. So, um, yeah, this time I did go too deep. Well, not okay. too deep. I went. Very <laughs> okay. So your, so your first question is, uh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie is your yeah. question. All right. So for everybody who is, is listening who does not know the movie Die Hard, it is a film that was done in 1988. It is an action thriller uh, with starring the legendary Bruce Willis. And arguably this is the movie that made him the legend. This is the one that pretty much launched his career 
uh, as a action star, as a, as the movie star that we you know we know who he is at this point. He's done other movies, but this was the one that really put him on the map because he was a romantic star, right? He was in before this uh, he Moonlighting was TV, Moonlighting, yeah, exactly. so- Moonlighting, and also Blind Date with Kim Basinger in '86, if I'm not mistaken, '86, '87. So he he already had kind of started doing some feature work, but he was known as a TV actor for for Moonlighting. I think he did two or three episodes of that one. When that that show was like the show everybody was watching, and that's kind of where we were introduced to Bruce. But Die Hard, like I still remember going into the theater in 1988. I'll never forget it. And I and I came in late, and it was a it was it was already a big blockbuster at the time that I went to go see. It was probably a week or two in, and everybody was talking about it. This is pre internet, pre everything, of course. And I went to the f- I, I I I got in late, so I had to go to the front. Of the theater. So I, I sat like I think in row one or row two, and I just sat there looking up at it, which probably <laughs> affected my impression of the film. And when I saw it, I'm like, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just like such and it, it is it is spawn that movie spawned every other kind of movie when it's die hard on a ship, die hard on a plane, die hard in a sub, die hard in a Hockey rink, Die Hard. Like it, they, they just use the concept of terrorists taking over something, and the lone hero. Prior to to Die Hard, I don't know if there was a a film a, a film a film about something like this specifically with the the you know the smart cracking detective who was extremely human. He wasn't like uh, which was also something that stood out about that movie at the time was you know his contemporary Stallone and. Stallone, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Schwarzenegger, these were all muscle-bound, hyper-real human beings. They were not the everyday man, where Bruce wasn't particularly, you know, a huge dude by any stretch. He just looked like an everyday guy. And that's also something that stood behind stood made this film stand out even more. But there's multiple reasons why this film stood out even more. So to yeah. go back well, it to was, your- it, it was one year after Lethal Weapon. So Lethal Weapon had a very similar vibe, a different movie, because that was more on the comedy side, less on the action, in my yes. opinion. Both action comedies, but this one putting more emphasis on the action and the comedy being important, but not the essence. It's, this isn't a comedy. It's a funny no. action film. No, no, Whereas no. Whereas Lethal Weapon, you could argue, is is more of a comedy with action. I don't know. It's uh, and, and there was a good there was a good run there of, of amazing amazing films in the 80s that were just some of the best action movies predator die hard robocop mm-hmm. lethal weapon lethal weapon 2 um you know the i, I would put, come well well come well okay let's okay let's just calm the <laughs> hell down here for a second the other films i listed off in that list were uh, they're they're actually really really good films that actually hold up their stories are good um, their commentary, yeah, like, like Commando. Yeah. Okay, stop it. Um, so, but <laughs> I, look, my friend, he's dead tired. Uh, no, oh my god! Stuff. Oh my god! It was so good. But Commando is good for. It's kind of <laughs> Commando is good. Like the room is good. Like it's 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 so like there was cardboard cutouts of people being blown up. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, so it's 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 a very interesting um and it's so funny. I actually met one of the stunt guys from Commando. He lives in he lives in the in, in my area and I met him on the street and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I've been doing stunts forever. I'm like, What movies have you done? He's like, Commando. I'm like, where, where where were you in Commando? He goes, I'm the mall cop that gets uh elbowed. Uh, by uh, Arnold, yeah, one. and it was a great shot. It was a really good shot, and he's like, "Yeah, that was me." I'm like, "Oh my god!" And then we start talking about Fall Guy and all the other, 
shows and movies he did. But anyway, uh, I would I just asked him about all sorts of stuff about Commando. But anyway, this is not the Commando show. This is Die Hard. So, okay, I, I have a, I have a trivia question for you though, Alex, and yes. I'm going to put you on the spot. Go for it. Do you know uh, what Die what well, the origins of the Die Hard script? Yes, like, it's. It is from – it's a movie adaption from the 1968 uh, book, The Detective. Which is a sequel to what? It is a sequel to – it was actually – wasn't that a movie with Frank Sinatra? Yeah. So the, the, originally there's a book called Nothing Lasts Forever. Yes. And then there's a follow-up called The Detective. And then The Detective was made into a film with Sinatra. And then Sinatra had the rights to uh, to play McLean. Uh-huh. Uh, and they had to offer this to him. He was 73 at the time. And he, he, he turned it down. But there is a part of me – I mean, I, I want to see that as well as the as the Bruce Willis version, not instead. Please, please, I, yes, I, please, yes. I, 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 also, we're now in the kind of era of – you know, older audiences and um, movies being remade. Why can't we have the version where we use the technology from Star Wars, where they <laughs> either use CG people, but we use a 73-year-old Sinatra who's oh, drunk through most of it, and we remake oh the movie. Oh, my God, yes. And then Come we have, we have Sammy J. We have, Dean, we have Dean and Sammy in it, too. Oh, it would oh. be fantastic. A Rat Pack diehard. Fantastic. We can make this. Between can- you and me, we can get this made. <laughs> That would be amazing. But yes, that, yeah, that was, uh, and that's the funny thing about this movie that that book was no, like, it wasn't Jaws. It wasn't The Godfather. It wasn't this big best selling situation. There was a specific magic that happened in Die Hard where the director, who arguably for his time was one of the greatest action directors ever, John McTiernan, who, who made Die Hard and also made The Predator, or, Pre- excuse me, Predator. Uh, which I still argue is one of the greatest art, one of the greatest action films, especially in the, easily in the top three action films of all time. And then you know he made uh, I think Die Hard three as well, which is you know the next best one I think in the in the yeah, in the run. Uh, two was two was horrible. Um, we don't talk about two. We don't talk about two. I enjoyed four though. I did enjoy four. I thought that was an interesting uh, an interesting. Um, Submission into the, but then it went, completely went off the rails. Which is the one where they, he takes down a helicopter with a car? Um, that would be, I think that might be four, but I know he took down a Harrier jet in four <laughs> with a car. I think that was one of them. And so, yes, it was a little, but the but the script was so well written. Like it was a really good script, and they just threw John McClane in it. Like it was it was a pre existing script that they rewrote. As a diehard. Oh, yeah. It was called like, it was something to do with a meltdown, wasn't it? It was the cyber attack. It was a cyber attack. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it wasn't an official diehard film, but they just like, well, this is a diehard. Let's put John McLean in it and that's the end of it. So that was a really good one as well. But, uh, but back to the original, back to the original on, on diehard. Why do I think it is a, uh, a Christmas movie? Well, first off, it takes place during Christmas, which does not automatically add it into the, into the list of, Christmas movies, but that helps uh, because could you you know Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is that a Christmas movie? You know any basically it's Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie because it was during Christmas. A there's lot of a, the eighties, yeah, because I think there's it's Shane Black. Lot. It was Shane Black. He did most of them. Exactly. <laughs> I think there, it's kind of I don't know. I don't want to be. I don't mean this in a mean, in a mean way, but it's a lazy irony. You know the the happiest time of the year where the saddest things are happening. It's got a natural ticking clock. It's got like, something visual. So the the reason for choosing Christmas is not inherent in the story. It's inherent in the medium. It's you know action yeah. films work better at Christmas. Yeah, there and I I think you know I think. Lethal Weapon was one of the 
I don't know, I can't say it was one of the first, but it was one of the first times I remember Christmas being a thing. But even then, Christmas was not a main focus of the Lethal Weapon story. I mean, there was is elements in the background, while Die Hard has a lot of iconography that is really Christmas. There's dialogue, ho, ho, ho. There's the Christmas tree. There's the Christmas hats. There's, it, it was just, there's a lot more Christmas in Die Hard than there is in a movie like Lethal Weapon. In my opinion. Well, or you'd have to worry about your opinion because I actually counted all the references and I'll talk about that of in a minute. Co- of, so, of course, of course you did. did. <laughs> You're just sort of remembering things. I've, I've got the stats. I've even got the time codes. Anyway. Do you see what I'm talking about, people? Do you see so what I'm the, talking about? I want to interrogate this further. So so okay. your argument it's a Christmas movie comes down at least in one part that you you said it wasn't the whole argument, but there you, it gets some points, some Christmassy points yes. for being set around Christmas and having some Christmas elements. All right. What else makes it, what, what tips it over the edge? And actually makes it a Christmas movie rather than just a movie that happens around Christmas time. Well, there is a, there is a redemption of, of the main character. There is a, oh. there is a, I feel there's a redemption of the, of the main character with the relationship with his wife, which is really kind of brings a family together at the end where at the beginning there was no family. So like there was, they were divorced. They didn't like each other, but then past all of that, uh, it was this experience that brings them very close together uh, and it brings the family back together. You know, I, so I thought that was a really nice way of. That's nice, but come on. It's that, we need to be a bit more empirical about this. Like, there are so many movies that do that. I mean, and there are so many movies where people do get together and it could have been a Christmas movie that didn't, they'd, if they hadn't have got together at the end, it wouldn't be any less of a Christmas movie, would it? Mm, well, no, it wouldn't be of less of a Christmas movie, but, you know, there's also that whole. You know, okay, Christ like no, 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 Christ like sacrifice, if you will, that John McClane by walking on broken glass, and you know, if you want to start going deep into it, we can go deep well, into look, it. No, no, no. If you're going to go deep, I don't, I don't think the Passion of the Christ <laughs> is, is on a par with that bit where she, he says, "Shoot the glass." Like, I, I mean, I like the scene, but I think the, <laughs> the level of suffering, can we at least agree, is not comparable? No, uh, obviously, obviously, but I would so, argue that Die Hard is much more of a Christmas. Christmas movie, the, the Passion yeah, but, okay, of the Christ. Uh, no, listen, look, we're going we're gonna to take this seriously enough. So far, you've only got one reason I'm willing to uh, even allow in, which is it has Christmas elements. The other reasons are too generic, you know, objection well, sustained. Oh, but, also, but, how about, but, how, but also, there's a very heavy use of Christmas music in it, which yeah, is something right. very, very heavy use of it from the end, from the opening to the end, through, I think throughout a little bit, they, there's some sort of, but there's like, God, there's so many different like, you know, like ho ho ho, and it's it, the, like the um when they when they kills the one of the terrorists and puts the, the Santa hat on him, and there's just so much of that kind of like really really tipping their hat toward the Christmas thing that I found it you know it just okay, makes okay that's that's so, one element of it. So so you've got Christmas songs yeah. and you've got it being set at Christmas. All mm-hmm. right. Is that the is does the prosecution uh rest or if you have other evidence? Well, uh, so I'm I'm going to say <laughs> I love this. This is great. I'm not letting you get away with this because okay. I'm not saying it's not. I just want you to make a cogent argument so that we can. Okay, then, so there's you know, Christmas songs. All right, so cr- there's Christmas music. There is uh, a lot of Christmas uh, references in the movie. There's a lot of tips of the hat to Christmas regarding dialogue, regarding uh, action in the movie that is 
around Christmas. So it's not just a background element like a Christmas tree in the background. So there's there's a bit of that, there's a bit of that as well in it. And then there is the whole, I mean, just to add it on as a cherry on top, this kind of bringing together of the family after out of it as well. So I think that in my opinion, and then also just the bottom line is I enjoy watching it at Christmas time. So there's a lot of Christmas yeah. movies that people watch at Christmas time that aren't particularly Christmas movies. You know? Interesting, interesting. So that's, so, so that's we, one thing. Yeah. We're talking about the perception of it as well then. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, I have a, a couple of questions uh, uh, I would like to ask the witness. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love it. So we established that the film came out in 1988. What month did it come out? Uh, it was, uh, I think it was September, was it? No, no, was it, was it September around that time? July. It was July. July. Oh, it was, it was a fe- summer February movie. In the, February in the UK, February 89. So not Christmassy. The no. farthest away you can get from Christmas. Um, the poster, uh, what Christmas, Christmas, Christmassy elements were on the poster? None. Uh, none okay uh and the tagline you know like okay so you've got the polar express the tagline is this season believe you know uh krampus you better watch out elf this holiday discover you're an elf what was the tagline for die hard uh 40 stories of sheer adventure sir <laughs> so not very christmasy then no not very christmasy at all but that's the thing that is so wonderful about it because if you sold it as a christmas action movie which I don't think – I don't remember of a film being sold that way. You lead with the action and the Christmas is a bonus, sir. <laughs> so hold on. Hold on. You've gone from the definitive Christmas movie to Christmas is purely a bonus. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Don't use my words against me, sir. Do not use my words against me, sir. I do still believe it is a definitive Christmas movie because for me, I watch it during Christmas so a lot of people can watch Predator during Christmas and might find it to be Christmassy. I don't know why, but they might. There is certain elements with it because of the music. So the, the music and the and the kind of call-outs to Christmas in the movie during Christmas time makes sense. This movie gained its real popularity on home video. It did not it was a big hit at the, at the theater, but where it really took off because of the time period that it came out in was rentals video stores uh and and cable just like uh terminator and and lethal weapon and those movies of that time period that's how it became such a roaring success was because of that i thought for a second that you uh, and you didn't so i'm not accusing you of this but i thought for a second one of your reasons was going to be that people gave it to each other as christmas presents no uh, i don't think, i don't think i don't think i think it's one of those i think it's it's not it's not an overtly christmas movie meaning that it's oh, not wow. some wow you're getting further wait, and further wait a minute wait a minute no 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 this is for me i for me it is a it is a definitive christmas movie for me and for many people that I know of, because it's obviously a thing because we're talking about it, but it is not – I mean maybe you give it as a friend, a gift to a friend at Christmas time and only somebody that understands the inside you know, joke a bit of it will go, oh, I get it. This is, of course, a Christmas movie. It's not so. So it's, so it's, it's, not, a, so it's a secret Christmas movie, but it's clearly it, it, it's, it's a secret. It's a it's a it's a secret Christmas movie that is the definitive <laughs> Christmas movie, sir. <laughs> Wow, I do hope you are never defending me in court. Oh, it's horrible. This is horrible. Go ahead. 
as a Christmas present to you, Alex. Yes. Uh, and, and assuming that you may get into further debates, because I get the sense you are the kind of person that has these conversations off mic as well. Oh, uh, yes, let I me, do. Let me help you, because there are a few things that you perhaps could have... Um, Used in my defense? Uh, <laughs> yes, brought into the record, and you haven't. Okay. So let me help you. This is my <laughs> present to you. And then maybe uh, we're at the end, we can, we can test your argument for, for other people. So, all right. Is it, so this is I love this because this is such an interesting question because it makes us think about what is a movie like what is the concept of a movie like who, and also you touched on it before like is it the cultural understanding of it is it what in it so I think there are three different ways that you can think of a movie mm. it's art to so like mm -hmm. culture you know mm -hmm. like it's um uh, sorry it, it's art it's a it's a creative thing it's a, it's a it's a piece of art the, mm -hmm. the the visual the audio the ninety minutes whatever however long it is like that's something we could look at and that's what we talked about. There's secondly, there's the commercial side of it. Like, how is it sold? How is it marketed? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, what did, what did Fox think of it? And then the last one is the cultural one where it's the move. It's the story of the story, if you will. Like it's what we think about it and the perception. We, we, exactly. Right. And, how, and, and that can shift. Like the movie can't shift because it is a fixed movie unless you're George Lucas. But other than that, the movie is fixed, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the commercial side of it, that shifts. But then again, we all know that they'd stick anything. I mean, you can get, um, Ho ho hodor t-shirts for Game of Thrones. So right. let's not, you know, the Christmas side of the commercial part is not the definition of, but the cultural stuff shifts. So um let's let's start with the easy one. Let's start with the one that you were talking about before. So uh I counted all the words in 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 the script. Uh, of course you did. <laughs> take a guess how many times the word Christmas comes up. Christmas comes up uh I don't know, let's say I don't know, 20 times maybe. 18. Pretty okay. good guess. Okay, okay. Pretty good guess. Okay. So that, that is more times than the words explode, die, hard, shoot, kill, or blood. But it is fewer than the words gun. The, the word gun comes up 73 times. That makes sense. Uh, and also, interestingly, if you want to talk about like how the how you could look at a script and determine the genre, the mm -hmm. word suddenly comes up 45 times. So it shows that there are reveals and and you know moments and it's not a slow-paced drama you know the word suddenly is quite important to it anyway okay so yeah christmas is quite a lot there's a lot of christmas in there there's also a meta reference where they're talking about whether the song uh christmas in the hollies by run dmc is christmassy enough but anyway. it, which it, which it's another argument to be had i i actually believe yeah, it's yeah, very it's christmassy it's meta okay so uh, the, the one of the writers, Stephen D'Souza, said it is it is a white it is a Christmas movie. He said if it's if this isn't a Christmas movie, then White Christmas isn't a Christmas movie. Um, which, by the way, if you've ever rewatched, is absolutely horrific. Like Holiday Inn and movies like that that we think of as classics. I went to go and see one um, uh, years ago. Like they did a rerun in theaters at Christmas, and so mm -hmm. I was there with my mulled wine and my mince pie, and I'm sitting there watching. I was on a date, and I watched this like old classic Bing Crosby Christmas movie. And then there's a sequence in it where they all black up and dance, and you're yeah. like, "Yeah, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Wait, yeah, what, 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 what's going on? Like, I didn't, and you just, I was there on a date. I brought wine. It did not look good. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, visual references. 21 distinctive Christmassy elements, mm -hmm. uh, Santa hats, Christmas trees, a piece of uh, Christmas greetings tape, which, I mean, I was about to say spoilers, but if you're listening to this, I, I mean, mean you, and you haven't seen it, we haven't spoiled your life. You've spoiled your life. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the tape with the gun on his back? Christmas yeah, yeah. Tree. Yes. Okay. So that helps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned songs. Uh, mm -hmm. So... 
I <laughs> I used to, this is where I'm I'm now embarrassed the level I did go to. So I looked at a database of um, of songs and that are in movies and references, and I pulled loads of different databases together, and I tried to look at how many um, movies have christmas songs and how much don't and and about 95 percent of movies don't have any christmas songs mm-hmm. um and so between you know the, the die hard is more christmasy than something like 99.2 percent of movies released over the last 30 years just from the music alone because you got christmas and the hollies winter wonderland jingle bells let it snow right. all that stuff so as a piece of art yeah probably quite christmasy Probably mm-hmm. quite Christmassy. Um, although that said, you, the, do, do you know the number one song across all movies, num- the number one Christmas song that's in the most number of Christmas movies? I'm going to guess Jingle Bells. It is Jingle Bells. But and you know, <laughs> Jingle Bells is not a Christmas song. It was written for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it is. Um, You're right. Absolutely. There's so, nothing Christmassy so, about it. <laughs> exactly. And yet that's the most Christmas song. So we're already discovering that, uh, that every time we win, we lose. There, there is an underbelly of lies amongst art. Uh, so anyway. So, uh, so, 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 argue, so arguing that point that there is so much Christmas music and music is such a, a very powerful uh, indicator of the tone that you want to set with a movie. Can we agree on that? Well, Is I would it, go one further. I'd say it's more deliberate. If you set yeah. a movie at Christmas time, you have to have Christmas decorations in the background because that's just the nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, if you have more and more of them, it doesn't mean it's more Christmassy. It just means it was set at Christmas in the same way he's wearing the same you know, trousers the whole time. It, it, that doesn't change because it's set on the same night. But the songs, that's deliberate and that's uh, very thought through and it's done in the edit and they have many more choices. So oh. I would argue as evidence of art, it's a stronger piece of evidence than the the set dressing yeah and there was another movie of that time period called cobra starring sylvester stallone that also took place during christmas time for no apparent reason and you watch that movie and it has absolutely nothing to do with christmas or christmas time like even though there is a christmas element to it and everything it was just kind of jammed in there for no reason it does not incorporate in the story i don't even think they make a reference to it in the movie uh, I was I just actually watched it the other day, and I was just like, "This is well." First of all, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But secondly, <laughs> it's no um, commando. Though. I mean, it's no commando. Seriously, I mean, co- come on, listen. <laughs> all I gotta do is when I saw Commando, how many of us went out and just? I mean, it was just such a cool movie. I can't say. I, I'm sure it does not. I, I'm sure it does not age well. And if I watched it today, I'd be going. What the hell is this? So <laughs> there's certain movies that do, like Bloodsport. I can't watch yeah. Blood. I don't want to watch Bloodsport Don't watch again. it. Just remember it. Your, I version, rem- your, your version is so much better. My version of it is fantastic. I might watch. I actually fast forward to a, a, some of the action sequences. I'm like, oh my God, they're just so lame or tame comparatively to what is going on today. But at the time, oh, it's fantastic. Anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Um, All right. So- so talking about like the so the second way of thinking about movie is as a commercial product. And as we talked about, it came out in July. It's got yes. nothing Christmassy on the poster, mm-hmm. nothing Christmassy on the on the uh, in the tagline or anything sure. like that. It basically Fox clearly did not think it was a Christmas movie at the time. There's n- absolutely they didn't. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're selling Christmas specials now it says more about their marketing opportunity marketing opportunity opportunism than it mm-hmm. does about anything inherent in the movie. So if art, yeah, probably a Christmas movie. Uh, cult, uh, create, uh, commercial, no, definitely not. So not looking good for Christmas, right? So we've got this last lens to look through, mm-hmm. which is culture. Mm-hmm. So 
I thought about this and I was trying to think about how could you measure our perception of a movie? And, and I, and I came up with more ways and I actually came up with another one that after I published the article, which annoyed me because I could have made it longer, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, maybe I'll do a director's cut another time. Um, so I, I thought, okay, why don't I look at IMDB lists? So any user for free who's got an account with IMDb can set up a list and say, uh, name the list, anything they want, and then link any movies to it, right? Mm -hmm. So you could say favorite action movies from the 80s or whatever. So I found all the lists that had anything to do with Christmas, which is Mm -hmm. just over 2,000. Mm -hmm. And I looked at all the movies that were on these lists. So my question to you, Alex, is what movie was the most cited movie on lists about Christmas? Uh... I mean, either like Elf or Home Alone or something like that, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Home Alone is number one. Elf is number two. Okay. That's, that's pretty damn good. It's funny because Home Alone, again, very Christmassy, but not so much. Like the core story is not about Christmas. It's obviously made it, the irony is made stronger that he's lonely at Christmas and he hasn't got his family and whatnot. But um, it's not like Elf. Where Elf is a really, or the Santa Claus, real Christmas. But those, yeah, those are specific, you know, mythologies regarding yeah. Christmas and stuff. So Home Alone, I'm, this is an interesting, this is an interesting topic now. So Home Alone, which is, I also consider a very yeah, high list Christmas movie, something I watch yeah, every yeah, yeah. year. Um, my other favorite is Family Man, but we'll, we'll get into that later. But um, <laughs> Wow. You, you, yeah, well, you haven't got time to go through all your issues. That's, I that's said, bad. I, I, loved, I love the Family Man. Don't, I, well, it's Nick Cage at Christmas. I mean, come on. But, it's all right. You can, cut, you can cut this out before it goes. It's right. No, 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 Save no. This is, go, this is going in. And I had the writers, <laughs> sir. I had the writers of the Family Man on the show, sir, and I just geeked out for 30 minutes, but that's a whole other thing. Oh, story. I didn't realize there were writers. I thought it was all improvised. Wow. <laughs> wow. Do you buy do you buy the haterade by the case or the palette, sir? So um, so this is an argument to be made with Home Alone. Home Alone is your right, does not have a specific the story specifically does not include Christmas as far like you could take that story and put it in the summer for a summer vacation. And it's and and this the, the movie plays. But because of the Christmas. Because of the the left at home at Christmas time where the snow's out, there's not a lot of people. Uh, and then also all the Christmas imagery and all the stuff that regarding Christmas in that, it is considered a Christmas movie and sold as a Christmas movie, if I'm not mistaken. It was sold as a – it came out at Christmas time. And I think even the the poster had – he was wearing a Christmas mm-hmm. sweater. So it was a christmas e movie where Die Hard obviously was not. In that sense, yeah. sold that way. <laughs> oh, in that sense, you're right. I mean, I think you're, you're right. If you took Home Alone and you made it into a, a summer holiday movie, I think it would be less effective. The story would still yes. hold up, but it would be less. It would be less dramatic because the irony wouldn't be there. Whereas Die Hard, set in July, you wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't think of it. I mean, obviously, if you'd seen the version now, you might say it's missing that extra little touch. But I, I still think Die Hard, set in July, would still be a damn good movie whereas i think home alone set in july is is right so then let so let me let me throw this argument out at you do you believe that if you take die hard out of the christmas time because of our cultural attachment to christmas what that means culturally to us family which means about family being together and the two main the two character the main character and his wife are separated at the beginning and are brought together at the end does that have the same emotional impact that it would in July than it would that that it would have in December maybe not July but let me make you two counterfactuals one it could happen on Valentine's Day 
That would be more effective for culture. No, for romance, yes, but I'm talking about family. There's a difference. I'm not talking yeah, about no, that's romance. True. It's, I'm not talking also, about romance. I'm talking because there's no romance. There's a little, very little romance in that movie. They kiss at the end, and that's pretty much it. But he, he buys her a bear. I mean, what's more romantic he, than that? He does buy her a bear, but that's the, and, <laughs> you know. But uh, in all honesty, though, it's about bringing a family back together, and I think that family aspect of it means a lot more because it's Christmas time. There is a, there is a. It, basically, I feel that Christmas is another character in that movie. Without that character, I don't know if it's as impactful. Is it still a kick-ass action movie? Absolutely. But there's this this layer. Uh, it's a kind of like a tapestry, uh, Die Hard, where it just, you know, that Christmas layer really just adds to the flavor. It's a seasoning that makes the movie all the all that much better. I mean, same thing with, I mean, arguably, same thing with Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon in the summer, like obviously, uh, I think in Lethal Weapon two, it didn't take, didn't take place at Christmas time, did it? It might have. I don't remember. That's not a good sign. But Lethal Weapon <laughs> one did take place during Christmas, and it added a little extra something at that time, even though it's not as nearly as heavy handed as it was in Die Hard. Well, what I think is pretty sad is that you know you can talk about families, and obviously there are literal families, but then there's also you know friends. You could argue that the the limo driver and the yes. cop, and they all become like a family. But yes. what about the the Gruber gang? They they might have been literal family. They certainly have planned this. They've been through lots of good things before this. Like that's the movie I want to see. Die Hard from the Gruber's point of view, like a sad story of mm-hmm. lack of redemption. Mm-hmm. It's like um. Con Air, you know, the story oh, that, um, great the, the, uh, what's, what's his name? Ed Harris's character plays. Uh, I want to see a version like well, Ed Harris, Man. First of all, Ed Harris is not in oh, no, Con the Air. Rock, it's The Rock, the rock sir. Sorry, the rock, I'm thinking sir. of the rock. I'm thinking of like the beginning opening scene where he's putting a medal on a okay, in the okay. rain on a. On I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna divert for just because you brought it up. I'm gonna divert for one second from our diehard conversation because I need to put this out there. Do you agree with this thesis? I believe that regardless if you like Michael Bay or not, I think he's still one of the one of the great action directors of the modern era. Without question. Unquestionably. I mean, it doesn't mean everything he's done is perfect. He definitely has defined a a genre. He's defined a style. He's got a very clear visual way of telling a story, which isn't everybody's taste, but it it is – it is art. It, he is. He has a voice. Now, would you would you agree with my thesis that after The Rock came out, because he did Bad Boys first, and Bad Boys had elements of it, but I think he really honed into something with The Rock, and then Armageddon afterwards, which is kind of like the Commando of its day. Um, but the how to, no, for, for, but no, The Rock. The Rock is an actually The Rock is an actually fantastic, wonderfully. Acted, directed, written for the nineties. It was wonderful. But do you agree that that at that from (sighs) that point on, every other director, action director, was chasing Michael Bay? Every you could start seeing a shift in the way action movies were directed and produced after The Rock, and you could see it clearly with films right after The Rock because everyone started doing that. It same thing happened with Tony Scott when Tony Scott showed up. Action movies changed. Like when when Tony Scott started doing action movies, everyone was like. I guess this is the way we do it. And Tony and, and Michael have a – you could see that they went to the same school, but they have different different flavors without question. 
But yeah. uh, we're just going down. We're going down a little rabbit hole. I don't want to go too deep, but I just want to kind of bring that let's, up. Let's let, yeah. Let's go. Let's get back on track. Let's talk about this. Let's not talk about frivolous things. Let's talk about <laughs> Die Hard. Come on. Okay. Fair enough. So, fair enough. Right, fair, so, enough so, fair enough. So I talked about uh, how uh, <laughs> Die Hard shows up. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't tell you where it shows up. So Die Hard uh, shows up in the uh, like some of the most cited movies. It's the twenty second most cited Christmas movie. But what's interesting is I, really? I haven't got the data of when people added it, but I would guess that if i did the research again this year or in a few years time it would be moving up the list and i don't know if it'll ever knock off home alone or elf but there are loads of movies in there that i think it would it's so going to become more Christmassy. so then because, so in time as as time has gone on it is now in that concept of it being a christmas movie it is actually becoming more of a christmas movie purely by the culture, society, and the well, fan exactly. base, and and that's and that's what's so fasc- fascinating is that the movies themselves, the actual movie, that the celluloid, the images, and the audio don't change, but our perception of them change massively. And so there are movies that you know, whether it be Birth of a Nation, Song You've of the South, mind. You know, <laughs> yeah, things that we push away, and there are other things that we pull towards us, and they they got undiscovered classics or whatever. So I had a look at um, you can anyone can have a look at the page views for any Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. So I I went and had a look at like the page views for films like Lethal Weapon, Ready's the Lost Ark, Seven Samurai, Aliens. And they've got their, all their views are spread out pretty much evenly across the year. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I had a look at films like Elf, Home Alone, Love Actually, The Polar Express, and almost all, you know half of all their views are in December. So then where does Die Hard fit? So what was so fascinating is Die Hard sits almost exactly halfway between the two. About 25% of all the views to the Die Hard Wikipedia page are in December. So it does have that skew. Um, but and, and January, I'm imagining as well. In January as well, which is unusual because most Christmas movies, January is, is really not important. But for Die Hard, it, it, it actually kind of is. Um, but then the big one, the one that kind of nailed it for me, where I was like, okay, I can see what's happening here, is it, I looked at the Google Trends data for the word Die Hard. Mm-hmm. And so over the last sort of uh, 15 years or so, you see these big spikes uh, <laughs> when – Die Hard 4.0 and the Good Day Die Hard came out. That's not relevant. But uh-huh. other than that, if you look at the spikes, you can see an increasing spike around Christmas. Each year it's growing in size. And so what's happening is if regardless of whether you think Die Hard, Die Hard was a movie, a Christmas movie when it was made, maybe you do today, but it almost definitely will be in five, ten years, maybe two years to the speed that the culture changes. So Die Hard is becoming a Christmas movie regardless of whether it was or wasn't. So it might have been, it probably is now, but it definitely will be in the future, which is amazing because we're living through this cultural shift. And even the fact that this is a legitimate question, you know, uh, no one's asking if Alien is a Christmas movie. It's not taking up anyone's time. No one's doing podcasts about it. No one's doing mm-hmm. data analysis. So right. the very fact that we're talking about it proves that it's culturally relevant to Christmas, which mm-hmm. I think is amazing. It just really shows you movies are what we think they are. And, and like you said, actually, what, one of the things you said at the beginning, which I gave you some stick for, but actually is a pretty solid answer, which is it is to me. And mm-hmm. that's, what, that's how culture works. You know, culture is, uh, can be defined as the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And so if that's a story that you tell yourself about Christmas for you, then it is true for you. And, and increasing numbers of people are doing that. So that's brilliant. No, without, without question. And as, as we continue to go through, I mean, if you go throughout cinema history, there's movies that find their audience or find their thing later in life. I mean, Shawshank Redemption, which I've, I've in nauseam have spoken about on the show, 
being one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. It's probably in the top of my list as my favorite movie of all time. And we could do an entire podcast about just the Shawshank Redemption, which I'm not now, sure. There's a there's a Christmas movie. Sure. That's a, obviously it's a Christmas movie. No, um, no, but that, but how a movie like which is the worst marketing of all time called the Shawshank Redemption, how that still gets for like I don't know seven Oscar nominations. It did horribly in the movie theater, but then all of a sudden over time. It overtook The Godfather on IMDb as the greatest, most highly rated movie of all time. And how does that happen? Because of perception over time. Same thing happens with The Room. When The Room first showed up, you know, Tommy Wiseau's masterpiece, uh, he, you know, that showed up and everyone was like, this is ridiculous. But slowly the perception of it was like, this is so bad that it is genius. And well, I then, think that, yeah, sorry, go on. No, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I think this is because we're living in this age now where social media and all this stuff is we get so much more news, so much more culture. We're living in a time where we're seeing cultures shift in a way that they always shifted. Obviously, we're not still living in the Victorian era, but they, they did it sort of imperceptibly. Every now and then there'll be a moment, a war or a particular event or something that would remind people things have changed, you know, but actually we're seeing it almost in real time if you think about me too and things like that you think about how people look back i mean at what people were doing in the past there was a defense that um someone had on the uh, the news recently about Boris Johnson was accused of uh, touching the the knee of a journalist and his defense was it was 20 years ago well that's not a very good defense, but what he's saying is the culture has shifted. I'm not defending yeah, him at all, of but course. I'm saying that we, we can feel it shifting. And and Die Hard, oh, using the, the example of Shawshank and The Godfather, both those movies were locked in time by the mid-90s. Both of them, have not a single frame has changed. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, the, the general agreement about which is better, although obviously a false binary choice because they don't they don't have to have a winner but if we ha- you know in the in the sense that we have to then that's changed it hasn't got better it hasn't got worse our understanding has changed and i find that absolutely wonderful i find it so interesting because it keeps movies alive you know and it also says that no one person can decide you know as much as we're joking no one person gets to say it is or it isn't even bruce willis doesn't get to say it is or it isn't we we dismissed his opinion pretty damn quickly yeah oh, abso- absolutely because it's about shared culture. And I think that's the joy of, of, of movies is that we can share the same experience. We can share different experiences of when we saw the movie and how we saw it. And also, our, our, like we said, going back and watching old videos from the 80s, perhaps don't do that. Other movies you, you overlooked. And I mean, I remember as a film student uh, skipping out of uh, being very sort of not so much smug, but very pleased I'd got an afternoon off because I snuck out instead of watching Brief Encounter. And then as an adult, discovering it, rewatching it and going, this is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. This is beautiful. And then realizing that the, the film hadn't changed, but my readiness to watch it, my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And perhaps if I had been forced to watch it, maybe I never would have rediscovered it. I would have remembered it as something different or whatever. And so that's fascinating. Well, it's exactly what happens with every single Kubrick film ever made. When it first comes out, people don't understand it or don't accept it. Or you know, every single one of his movies had some sort of real negative, you know, uh, attachment to it. Like when they when Eyes Wide Shut showed up, everyone's like, "This is the worst of his career." Blah blah blah. Then ten years later, oh, it's a masterpiece because of perceptions, because of the way things are look like. For me personally, when I saw Eyes Wide Shut, when it first came out in '99. 
I walked out of the theater with my other film, my film snob friends, and they go, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know what it means. I will in about 10 years. I, I, I had enough <laughs> self-awareness to know, I'm like, I don't get it right now, but I will in about 10 or 20 years. And that's exactly what happened. 10 years later, 10, 12 years later, 15 years later, I watch it again after I was a married man. And I was like, oh, I understand what he was trying to say here. Like, oh, I get okay. it. So what movies that, of the last couple of years do you think are due for either a revival or uh, for a – I mean like at the time Die Hard came out, it would be kind of laughable. In fact, I think it would be inc- you'd be incredulous to say it's going to be on people's list of Christmas movies. Correct. Um, whereas now it doesn't. So what movies in the last couple of years do you think are due oh, for a reimagining? Man. Jeez, that's a great question. Um, oh, God. It's like there's certain there's certain – you know – there are certain films that hit you at a certain time in your life where there's a nostalgia to it. You need to give the time, you need to give it time to marinate over, over, not over a few, just a couple years. I would have to argue maybe five, 10 years later where you can go, oh, there's a nostalgic aspect of it. So, you know, someone watching Lethal Weapon or Die Hard for the first time today would not have the impact of me watching it in 1988 before any other media had done anything like those two films did at the time. You know, when Predator showed up, there was nothing like that. When Alien showed up, there was nothing like that ever made prior. Now it's been like The Matrix. When you watch The Matrix for the first time in 1999 in a movie theater, oh, your entire – right? Now you're talking. Like if I didn't understand – I mean it wasn't that I was confused. It was like – what was that? that was, no, it was it, okay. So that's a that's a movie that you know that's an argue, argument that needs a reimagining, which they are actually going to go back into the Matrix world. We'll see what happens with that. But you know, when I saw the Matrix in '99, when it came out in the movie theater, your mind it explodes. Now you sit there today and you show it to somebody who has never seen the Matrix. It doesn't have the same impact because it's been ripped off so much. That it seems tame, but at the moment that it was released, it was so powerful that those vibrations are still hitting us today. The waves of that 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 movie still affect cinema into to, until this very day. It, so it, that's there's a difference between, I think you know pulling going back in time. Like you watch Pulp Fiction. I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater while I was in film school, and said. Oh my God, what the hell just happened? As most people did when they saw that movie, where now you go back to it and you're like, it's a good movie, but it doesn't seem as powerful as it did then because it's been so ripped off. And now we have so much more reference to Quentin Tarantino and his dialogue and the way he did it. But at the time, that was mind blowing. The Exorcist, when it showed up, people were fainting in the theaters, people were being pulled out. Well, there's a there's a really good example because I I saw The Exorcist when it was re-released. It must have been late nineties or something like that. And uh, there was a lot of talk at the time about it being a very scary movie. And like yes, you yes, said, yes. loads of reports about that. And I went to go and see it in the, in the cinema. And I remember my mum saying something like, uh, she wasn't exactly warning me, and she she's not at all prudish. She was just <laughs> making sure that I knew it was a really scary movie. And I and I was like, yeah, I know. And I watched it, and I remember thinking. What, what what is this? I, I, there's nothing here. And then when I rewatched it for a few years later, I was like, "This is a piece of art. This is a brilliant film." Oh, it's so the problem. The problem was I was I was queued up for it to be a terrifying 
um, yes. thing. And and to me as a teenager, it just it wasn't because that wasn't what terrifying was at the time. Yeah, but in me. 1973 or whenever it came out, Absolutely. it was it just I mean it, it it broke every single you know cultural moray at all. I mean it was just completely like. Little girls, pea soup. It was all this kind of. It was exorcism. It was. It was a much simpler time. That movie is tame in today's world. Completely. Well, uh, th- this would be my. This is my argument why we should ban trailers. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. obviously, <laughs> good luck I with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, listen, it's not an exact plan. It's Christmas. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm allowed to put it. No, but genuinely, I, I used to watch all the trailers. I used to read all the film magazines. I was really kind of a film geek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly as a kid, but it was, that was the internet, but not really. And certainly not the way it is now. There's certainly no um, kind of community that, the way you have now. And um, I stopped doing it very consciously in my late teens because I realized that every bit of the best bit of every movie, every joke, every explosion I already saw. And so by definition, the only things that were left were less than that, you know, mm-hmm. by definition, I could only be disappointed. So I stopped watching them as much as I could, you know, which pretty much meant just not, uh, I, I don't close my eyes when they're in the cinema, but that tends to be pretty soon after they're going to go, they're going to be out mm-hmm. as opposed to these long lead times you have nowadays. And, um, I, it, it massively improves my understanding of movies. I, I, I don't know what quite what to expect. And I, obviously I still pick up the hype and I still get a sense of the reviews without reading them because People put the stars in the headlines, but you still, you feel like you're keeping the best of it. So you can discover it as much as you can for yourself. I do that. I do that every time there's a huge movie that I want to see, like, like Avengers Endgame. I didn't watch any trailers for that. I don't think, um, the, the, the star, the star Wars movies, like I try not to watch anything of it purely because it was just like, I just want to, I just want to be surprised when I'm in there and it's, you know, and and you have to rush out opening weekend. If not, you can't go on social media because everything's going to be ruined for you within a matter of, of minutes after people yeah, come out with the movie. But like, you know, to argue about um, like The Exorcist, because I remember watching The Exorcist when I was in high school as well. I was in the in the 80s and I watched it and I watched it with the lights on in the middle of the day because I was <laughs> I was I was told it was so terrifying. And I mean, it is a scary movie. No question. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. It's a scary movie. It's not like terrified, like the movie that terrified me and still like I've watched it a million times. So it doesn't have the same impact, but still gets under my skin is The Shining. Like you mm-hmm. watch, you watch The Shining. It's the music. And there's a the specific reason why there's those four notes. I saw a whole documentary on just the four notes that he uses and why it's used in everything that regards to death and everything like that. But that the music the environment, the performances, it is just eerie. It just gives you like the EBGBs on a psychological level, not on a because arguably the imagery is not terrifying. No. It really isn't. It's like it's the suspense. It's the you know, all the, it's everything all thrown in together. It's well. Let, let me let me ask you then. I think I this is just a personal theory. Uh, you'll be disappointed to hear I have no data to back this up. Um, I, I maintain that there are only two fil- horror films made for children, and I think they were made around the similar. I don't know the exact time, but they're similar sort of time. Certainly in you know the history of film. What, what would you say are uh, horror films made for children? Oh God! Um, and it's not like Hotel Transylvania. It's not anything that uses the Halloween yeah. aesthetic because that's not horror. That's no, no, a no. Trope. Um, uh, what age group are we looking at? Oh, I think children. I think you know, sort of um, five to twelve. Wow. You know. 
Man, I I mean, other than maybe some Harry Potter films that are you can argue. Oh, they're dark. The last couple where so many children died. Well, I mean, it's a prisoner, prisoner of Azkaban, still my favorite of all the Harry Potter films, and that's a pretty dark. I mean, that's when the the soul sucking guys—I forgot what they're called—they come the out. Mentors. Yeah, the mentors. I mean, it's pretty intense. It's an intense film. That. That's not what I was thinking of, but you're absolutely right. That stuff is. I, it's meant to be for kids, but it, I mean, I, I don't know how kids. Maybe kids are completely fine, and it's just us adults. But yes, you're absolutely right. I, I I take your point there. That's certainly a darker series than I think anyone would have expected. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the two that I was thinking of are Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and Chitty Chitty <laughs> Bang Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Because so I, will, Willy I, will, Wonka, I, will, I will agree with Willy Wonka. <laughs> so Willy Wonka, they increasingly get they get killed in a way that you would in a slasher horror one by one, <laughs> right? The yes. foreign ones get first, you know, done first. Also, he's <laughs> creepy and weird. And then there's that tunnel sequence with the rival. And then there's the, the just like the whole thing is just they're basically they're in the woods with a mad person they think is killing people and people are dying one by one. And then there are these weird small people who seem to be like one of us, one of us, but to it's, different lyrics. Uh, like, yes, that's a horror movie. And then Titty Titty Bang Bang, the child snatcher is the most terrifying concept for children (laughs) yes he actively hunts children and he tricks them with the things they want and then kidnaps them and and does it without any sense of humanity like there's no purpose to it and obviously you you imagine i mean as an adult the idea of a lamb without children sounds pretty damn good but uh as a kid it's like you're being hunted and there could be anywhere well i would argue Um, two other movies that i could throw in there um before i forget matilda Oh yes, and Pinoc- Roald- and, and Pinocchio, Roald Dahl. I mean, if you read the the witches, the um, Roald oh. Dahl books are dark, but yeah. the witches, like they, I mean, again, spoiler, but they they die on the roof, like they, and also, um, uh, Danny, the champion of the world, that's quite dark. Like, there's a lot of darkness in in um, Roald Dahl stuff. Like, like it's not Spielberg. Oh, my dad passed away in the past. Dahl, like kids are killing people, and, and they and the adults are genuinely <laughs> evil, and like. Matilda's a great example. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's scarier having a, a set of parents like that and the, the school that she goes to than anything else. Uh, it's much scarier than a ghost or anything like that. But we, we, I mean, obviously this podcast is about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. So oh, sorry. Not, of course. Let's, let's so get back to work. We, we've, we've, we've gone off the rails a bit because this is what's happening when Stephen and I get on, <laughs> get on a call to start talking <laughs> movies. This is what's going to happen. But I think, I think that the, the um, we've rest our case that it is – a Christmas movie and will become more of a Christmas movie as time progresses. Uh, That's the key. I think that the key thing here is that you, if we start, if we were to argue or you were to argue with anybody else about the content of the movie, you're, you're never going to win because mm-hmm. you're both seeing the same movie. So mm-hmm. unless one person's really not paid any attention, like you're, you're arguing over minutiae. But the point is, that's not what movies are really there for. Movies are there for, yeah, it's about stories. It's about culture. The reason that we all, when we love the same movie and we have the same feeling and we share that and it's incredible is because it brings us together and it unites us. And so our understanding of movies is the definition of a movie. And so Die Hard, if enough people think it is, then it is. Exactly. And, you know, you, you watch Birth of a Nation – now and you just like i can't believe these people did this like this is so for our culture and our time period that movie seems so racist so everything inexplicable it's like how did this how how did this and then not only how did it happen but how is it held up as one of the greatest 
you know, movies of its era, if you pass beyond the concept of the movie, what D.W. Griffith did with the cameras and so on, you know, he, he was one of the, the, the founding fathers of cinema language. Unfortunately, it's with a film like that. That's why Citizen Kane has really taken up that mantle much more than – even when I was in film school, my film teacher in film history class were like, there was Birth of a Nation. And uh, and then let's just fast forward to Citizen Kane. So then <laughs> that's basically the way it, it was. But that's a perfect example of a film of its time that meant so – it did so well at its time because that was all completely acceptable. There's things that were done in the 80s and in the 70s that you would – do you think Blazing Saddles would come out today? They actually, Mel Brooks said that recently. He was being interviewed and he was like, political correctness is killing comedy. I don't know if if it is or not, but his point was it is. And he was saying that would never get made today. There would be no way in hell. Like when I saw Blazing Saddles for the first time, I said, this movie would never get made today. But then Borat came out and I was like, okay, well, (laughs) Borat was a movie that, you know, you look at Borat and you're like, how in hell did this get made? But Borat was one of those films in recent years, which is, like, I don't know how old it is, like 10 years, 10, 15 years old at this time. I don't even know how old it is now. But when it yeah. came out, it was still, we're still in a very politically correct time. How that movie got through was fascinating. But well, Blazing I Saddles, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that coming out today? It would be impossible. I, there are other things that are shifting. And we talked about this a bit earlier on today. I, I mean, I can't remember if we, you and I talked about this on the previous podcast or not, but there's a movie from the mid 80s called Blame It on Rio. Yeah. And uh, it stars yeah. Michael Caine. Yeah. And uh, I, just, I just looked it up on IMDb. And the plot, the one, the one line sentence uh, summary is best friends and their daughters vacation in Rio de Janeiro only oh, no. for one of them to fall for the other one's daughter. And so basically Michael Caine falls for an 18-year-old or 17-year-old, whoever old she is. She falls for him. He's obviously a, a grown man with his own teenage, you know, yeah. adult daughter. And the, and also the, the two actresses in it are topless within the movie. So not only is the plot wrong, it's also got a male gaze to it. It's got a very kind of, well, oh, you know, she's attractive and young. So that's all the definition we need. And I, I do wonder what other movies that we perhaps are – Children will look at us and go, how did you watch that? Now, we're probably – we're not people that went to go and see Blame It on Rio, um, mm. and I'd like to think it wouldn't get made today. But there must be movies out recently that we'd all go – and maybe Borat's the one, or, or it's probably something more innocuous because when a movie's oh, no. trying to be yeah. offensive, mm-hmm. it's it's almost more okay because you, by definition you're trying to push boundaries. It's the boundaries that we're not challenging, the ones that we think – this isn't an outrageous statement. This is fairly normal. That's the bit. Well, if you if you want to see films that are completely out of date in many ways, just go to AFM <laughs> or, or go to or go to the Cannes Film Market. Go to those places, and you you walk around and you see these movies which have exploitation of women, exploitation of action, and violence, and it's just this kind of like primal kind of cinema which was made famous in the eighties. You know, this kind of primal muscle bound guys and TNA. And, you know, I still have conversations with distributors like, is anybody naked in it? If they are, I can sell it to Germany or I can sell it to this country because of the nudity involved in it. So there, that's still going on very much so today throughout the world. And it is still it, films like that are are being made. Are they made by the studios? No, they're not made by the studios anymore. The studios have figured out that R rated 
movies of that manner, it's not something that the culture here, at least, is really looking at. And they also know they can make more money in PG-13 films. That's why it's so difficult to get a really adult film made in the studio system. Things like Logan or even Deadpool, for that matter, even in, this, in, in, the, in the superhero genre, you know, those are, those are you know, hard R movies. Well, thank God Deadpool made so much money because that's kept it alive for another five, ten years. And it, yep. they'll constantly try and kill that. But thank God there was one that got through. And Logan, and all Logan too. Like, yeah, but they've all performed the way that Hollywood thinks they have. They just – it would become received wisdom that they can't make that anymore. Right. Um, so, okay, bringing it back onto topic, is there anything in Die Hard that you think wouldn't get made today? If Die Hard was a script in development, and obviously Die Hard and the original didn't exist, but everything else is the same, do you think it would get made? Who would get cast? Like, how would it get changed? I mean, I, the idea of him rescuing her, surely that's very kind of male, male yeah, gaze, male explanation. There is, there is a male gaze to it. There's no question about it. Would that movie get made today in the way that it's written? I don't, don't, I don't think it, especially would it get done in the, in the, in the Hollywood system because first of all, a movie like that with a star of his caliber, you have to remember, this is a star of his caliber at the time. Bruce Willis was nobody. He was just like a, a TV actor and he, he had one, you know, romantic comedy uh, with Blake Edwards called Blind Date with Kim Basinger. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think there was anything else. Die Hard is what made him. So to release a studio movie with an unknown or, or very mildly known actor, that's not going to happen today. So you would need a big movie star. Would a big movie star, let's say we throw Tom Cruise in it. We throw Will Smith in it right the now. The Rock. I, no, The Rock. Throw The Rock. Yeah, but The Rock did this movie. It was called uh, Skyscraper. Skyscraper. Skyscraper, yeah. Right. That was, that was and it was horrible. Movie. It was horrible. So The the Rock is a really interesting character because I'm a huge fan of The Rock. I'm a, a monstrous fan of The Rock. I love what he does. And I just – all his films, even though some of them are really – you know, like I didn't like the Earthquake film or whatever that thing was called. And, San, you know, the, San Andreas. Yeah. There, there's certain films that I watch. I was like, oh, dude, Rock, really? But there's other times he's like, oh, well, that was genius. He's a really great performer, great actor, great personality. But he's one of the last kind of like you couldn't throw the rock in into the iHeart and make it work because they tried doing that with Skyscraper and it didn't work. And the reason why is because Die Hard makes works because it's Bruce Willis. It's the everyman. If you throw Stallone in that, you've got daylight. You've got, you know, because daylight was Die Hard in a tunnel. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, or you've got Schwarzenegger. You can't throw you can't throw Arnold in that movie. It doesn't have the same energy. Bruce brought this every man aspect to it that made John McClane what John McClane is. If it was a hyper real human being like The Rock is, The Rock is a hyper real human being. He does not represent the mass audience by any stretch. He is a superior physical specimen. Bruce was not. So are you saying it has to be like Paul Rudd? It has to be like a, it would, a generic everyone. It, it, would, it would have to be kind of, you know, if you would do it, it would have to be someone like a Paul Rudd, you know, because look, they did, look, Paul Rudd came out with Ant-Man and he was in great shape because nowadays you can't release a movie like a Die Hard with a dude that's out of shape because then it becomes humorous and people don't buy it. People are way too savvy nowadays. So it, it would still have to be a dude that works out like, you know, Paul Rudd, he has a six pack. Chris Pratt, you know, he's a beast now. Okay, okay. So here's my here's my studio pitch. Die Hard remake, but with all the gender roles flipped and Anna Kendrick is the star. So you see now that's a comedy to me because I don't see Anna Kendrick 
being able to pull off the the action aspect. It's, she's not believable in that but role. But that's now, the point, though. You, you just said. But that it's a comedy. But every, no, 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 no. But there's a difference. But there are women actresses out there that I would buy doing that. Like you, you give me. See, Charlize Theron is just she's too beautiful. Um, you know, or Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I think, it's got to, I think we're getting there eventually. I think if, if we just carried on this conversation long enough, we'd end up where we all know we'd end up, which is Meryl Streep. Now, Meryl Streep, I would buy in Die Hard. Why? Because Meryl Streep can read a telephone book and I would buy it. It doesn't I would matter. Absolutely what, buy that. <laughs> I mean, too, it doesn't matter what Meryl does, she can do no wrong. But with that said, could Meryl pull off Die Hard? I think she could. I think she would I mean, do. That, I mean, she's a little. She's going to crowdfund. I mean, she is a bit. She is a little bit. You know, older now, so I'm not sure. But maybe Meryl, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. No, no, ago? no. She's timeless. It's a role she's playing. No, I, I, <laughs> there is a physicality to it. But you know what? Okay, uh, Helen Mirren. Let's throw Helen Mirren in there. Let's. I mean, I think Dame Dame Helen Mirren. Uh, let's put her or in. Or Maggie there. Smith. Maggie Smith could do it. Okay, you see, now we're just going off the rails. There is a point where, yes, the talent is there, but the body just doesn't carry. You can't physically no, carry. There's CG. There's, 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 you know, computers and stuff. You just you, you get some people to press some buttons on the box, and then they make the body all okay, like. Okay, all right. You know. So let's, I think the bottom line to a remake of Die Hard is like the remake of any movie. There is a magic that happens at the time that it's released with a group of people that are putting it together that cannot be recaptured. There's never been a remake that is as good or even than than the original. It does Ooh, not. Oh, I disagree. I disagree. Give me, give me right. the, re- give me a remake. Thomas Crown Affair. Ooh, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> well, I mean, the James, and there's and there's James Bonds as well. But okay, but yes, that's a remake. But okay, okay, but first of all, Thomas Crown Affair, which I love, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, the the new one, the one with Pierce. The difference is that the Thomas Crown Affair. There was such a long time. Well, like, look at look at A Star Is Born. You know, I love the recent remake of that, but something that's so iconic because you could argue that Thomas Crown Affair is not as iconic as a Die Hard. It's not as like right. I, 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 you can't remake The Godfather. I'll give I'll give you another. You one. You can't All remake right. Shawshank Redemption. Like it's not possible. Not in look, the way it is. I love Infernal Affairs. It's a great movie, but The Departed is a better movie. Now, maybe it's my cultural understanding that maybe the subtitles and yes, and, you know, but it's but, also but it was also it's a remake from a foreign film. There are many foreign films that had remakes. I mean, look, uh, the entire Sergio Leone run with the Man with No Name is a remake of uh, Yojimbo, which arguably to me is a better film than Yojimbo because of just. Leone and Eastwood at that time and period, though I do love, I'm a huge Kurosawa fan as well. So they're just different. They're All different right, okay. films. Infernal Affairs and Departed are completely different because you've got the energies of Scorsese and you know, that movie okay, made Mark okay, Wahlberg, okay. made Mark Wahlberg, see, Mark Wahlberg stole every scene he was in in that movie. How is that humanly possible? Okay, I, I got three three other. I, I'll give up if I can't convince you with these three. Okay. And the last one's the one that I'm going to get you on. So, okay, okay. my my next bet to see if the sequel's better, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, it is. Of course, it is. But that was a bad movie to begin with. I didn't like Ocean's the, the original Ocean's Eleven. I thought it was just it's just not well done. So they just took the concept and remade it into a That's much true. much better yeah. film. Okay, all right. Just, okay, yeah. Number two, I'm going to get you on this last one. But number two, The Mummy. 
Well, the, again, they're just like <laughs> you could say. I mean, come on, the, the original Mummy was made a hundred years ago, literally. So you know, when they remade the Mummy um, with Brendan Fraser, is it a better movie? No, I thought those movies were the only thing that was redeemable about those movies was. Brendan Fraser at that time in his career. He he made them fun. The director, Stephen, yeah. whatever his name is, he's a horrible director. I'm sorry. He destroyed uh, – he did Van Helsing. He's not a good director. He's not a good storyteller in my personal opinion. Are they fun movies? Yeah, The Mummy's fun. I rode the ride at Universal. It's great. It's not – like in The New Mummy, oh, God, that was just oh, – That was really Oh, bad. that okay, was okay. so bad. Here's my last one. Here's my final final offer. Okay. okay. So you were saying how some of the uh, films like uh, Ocean's Eleven just took the concept and changed it. Yeah. You're not going to get away with this this last okay. one. go for it. Go for it. Gus Van Sant's Psycho. Well, that's a, that's a literal frame-by-frame <laughs> remake. It was, it was not good. No, it was not it's not, good at all. I, it's not, it's not that joking. it's not good. It's not that it's not good, you know, because it's literally the same movie with updated actors. He <laughs> he understood that you can't remake Psycho. Like, you can't remake Psycho. It's a it's, it's the audacity to remake Hitchcock, but then the humility to appreciate you can't improve it, so you're just going to shoot it in color. Like, it, that's it, such a In color with, it, with, with these new actors. But you watched both of those movies, and you just can't recreate the magic. Like, can you remake Star Wars? No. Can you remake Rocky? No. Like Creed is a fun movie, but it's not Rocky, nor will it ever be because Rocky was the first of its kind back in 1976 when it came out. Well, so okay it, then. Let, let, let me take that. This, let's make this the final thought for this Christmas podcast because yes. I want to make a suggestion that yes. next year, yes. in 12 months from now, yes. we have not the topic of is Die Hard a Christmas movie or the best Christmas movie. Yeah. The, the thesis I want to put out, which I, I don't have the data for yet, mm-hmm. is that Rocky is a love story. It is a love story. It's a oh, romance it, film. It's absolutely a romance film. Are you kidding me? Of course it's a romance Where's film. Where's your data, though? My data, the whole damn thing revolves around him and Adrian. The background is the fight. The fight is the background, that which he doesn't win. So that's a subplot. The main plot is Rocky finding love and, and, and finding that whole relationship with Adrian. The second movie has to do more about Rocky and his fame and then eventually beating Apollo, but then he it, it the, the without without Adrian, it becomes a very different movie. Like that whole movie, like they spent they spent so much time like in the ice rink at the, the pet shop. That's not an yeah, action dates. movie. It's yeah, they're, dates. they're dates. This is a date movie. Rocky's a date movie. Without question, it's a romance film. I won't. I, I would completely, one hundred and ten percent argue with that. Now, is Rocky three and four a date movie? Absolutely not. They are not. <laughs> they have now. Then I think two was that little transition before it became the hyper real, you know, amazing films that they were in but the eighties. Isn't this some kind of really clever meta comment on relationships? That when you first oh, meet course. somebody, you're excited by them. You go on dates to the ice rink. You know, bad things happen in your life, but you don't mind. But then very soon, life starts to feel like Rocky three and Rocky four. You know, the and then and, then and then the divorce happens at Rocky five. But then, yeah, then but then, then ten years later, but then ten fifteen years later, you find yourselves again, and then Rocky Balboa comes out. So it's like because Rocky Balboa, I thought, was a fantastic film. I, I couldn't believe that it was. As, it had no business being as good as it was. Uh, it really did. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was outrageous. But what Stallone did with Rocky Balboa, the, the the actual movie called Rocky Balboa, was fantastic, you know. And then what they did with Creed, because he had he put he put Rocky to bed, 
And then um, what's his name came up? Uh, uh, the, the director of Black Panther. I forgot his name. He came up with Creed and said, I want to do this. And Rocky's like, I mean, Stallone's like, okay. And now they've created a whole new generation of people following Creed, which is a great story in its own right. Um, but, and if you remember, Rocky Balboa was not about uh, Adrian's, Adrian's past at that point. So she's not with him anymore. So now it becomes a story about his own redemption with his own son, and it becomes all this kind of stuff. But a, a, a side note, a quick note. Do you remember in Rocky that um, that Rocky had a pet, two pet turtles? Yeah. They're still alive. Whoa. So you're saying we could make a, a, a no, remake no, no. with the same actors? No, 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 no. Wait a minute. They're still alive. They're 44 years old. I just oh, read they're the. A bit, I, they're a bit old for Hollywood, then. We should yes, go for the younger ones. Yeah, we have to obviously have to go for a younger turtle because of the, or, or of we'll the shell on their on their shells. Yeah, yeah, like uh, painted but, out. But the point is that they're still alive, and they they live with Stallone, and they were both in Creed. <laughs> <laughs> he brought them back on the set. He put them in the in the in the thing. He's like, yeah, I've been keeping them around for forty four years. It's it's I, when I saw the picture of it, I was like, I can't believe those things are still alive. So, are we not giving him enough credit? Is this like Boyhood? Where he's- <laughs> it's like boyhood. Okay, I want to just talk about boyhood for a second, because guys, now we're going full full film geek. So if you're still listening, please just in, just endure it. Uh, if, but- if you're listening to this on Christmas Day, Christmas Day, go and talk to your family. Yes, uh, you will obviously be around you should, forever. You, you, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I would we argue. They I will. would argue boyhood. If you take the elements of what Linklater did over the course of how many years he did this. If you take that out and just shot it normally with different actors, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. But because of every scene that you watch, you're like, I want to see what the kid looks like. I want to see what you, Ethan Hawke looks like. I want to see what Patricia – like that is what kind of carries it for, for me at least. I didn't, I'm never going to watch Boyhood again. Yeah, it's, not, it's evil can evil basically. It's not that you want to hear what he's got to say, but you yeah. want to see if he makes the jump. That's a great analogy. That's a really good. There are films like that. There are films like the the one like I'll watch Birdman again because I thought Birdman was fantastic. But you want to see like how did he pull off that the technical aspect? Gravity. You know, you watch Gravity. You're like, how did they pull off Avatar? Or you know, like these technically insane films. You're like, I just got to see how they did it. You know, uh, and then if you're lucky, you find a movie that's technically pro- insane and also has a good story that you could watch again and again. Like I'm fascinated to see what James Cameron does with his next four Avatar films that he's doing. From what I'm hearing through the grapevine, it's it's something that's so insane that we can't even can't even grasp at this. Well, point. I, I hope that our grandchildren who are around when they come out will enjoy the movies. And, I know, uh, I, I really I, appreciate. Yeah, my I'll I'll be seventy when that comes out. Jesus Christ! I mean, you look, you're rebuilding technology. It's just what he does. I mean, he's he's. What he did in Avatar, we're sna- we're st- we started using as, as you know, like the capturing the face for visual effects and stuff. That that's a standard now. Before then, there wasn't a, like nobody had done that. I can I tell you a quick? Can I tell you a quick Cameron yeah. Avatar story? All right. So I had a friend of mine who was um, he he was shadowing Cameron on the original Avatar, and he walked on the set and he was there for a few days. He's a direct, he's a, a DGA director and. He, he asked to be on the set. He's like, sure, come over and see what we're doing. So he gets to this soundstage that has, uh, you know, it's just, the, it's, the, it's the mocap stage. And behind Cameron, there's literally 60 to 70 people 
in this kind of arena style seating arrangements with thousands of thousands of computers and cables and everything because the technology was literally being designed as they were doing it. And he had this one camera that he saw everything. So in that one viewfinder, he saw every the entire world around him rendered, rendered. So he could just move the camera to the left and whatever is supposed to be there would be there, a forest, a, you know, a tree or whatever. So there was a scene where he's jumping off a helicopter and then he, you know, like when they, when they land, like when the avatars land and they jump off and they run a little bit, um, he does that. And then he runs into a tree. Like he literally runs into a tree. There's no tree there, but he runs into a virtual tree and he yells, cut, cut, Jimmy, Jimmy, move this tree over 30 feet. <laughs> and you see this mouse come in from the heavens grab the tree, lift the tree up with roots and all and moves it 30 feet the other way and plants it. And you're just sitting there. We are in the presence of somebody who's playing at a completely different level than pretty much anybody else on the planet. You're, you're absolutely point. right. Although I have a gen- – and, and what I'm about to say might sound cheeky or deliberately rude, but I mean it as a genuine, genuine question. Given the huge amount of money and the, the fact they had to invent entire departments, technologies, yeah, 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 jobs, yeah, yeah. why didn't anyone work on the script? Oh, Jesus. Here we go. Anytime I hear I anybody – I saw Fern Gully. I didn't need it to be in 3D. <laughs> I wasn't missing a dimension. Okay. I and saw Dances with Wolves as well. Listen. Exactly. Okay. What's so the, so the, 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 this is the deal. And, and, okay. Well, I'll t- let me finish the story and then I'll tell you my, my feelings on oh, that. Oh, sorry. I thought that was okay. the story. No, no, no. The story's not that. The other story – the rest of the story is that he walks up to Jim, James Cameron afterwards and like, hey, Jim, you know, you know, this is pretty impressive, man. You know, this is pretty, pretty cool what you got going on. And James Cameron turns to him and goes, you know what would be effing amazing is if I didn't have this damn cable. That would be impressive. This cable that's always hooked up to my camera, I don't like that. And that's <laughs> that's the mentality of someone like James Cameron. He's like, for us, we look at it going, oh my God, you've got godlike uh, technology. And he's like, yeah, but the cable. <laughs> you know? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how true this is, but I heard a story, uh, not through someone who was there, but it may, may be apocryphal, but I understand it to be true. When he was planning uh, Terminator 2, Mm-hmm. He was. Ch- he went to the chat to the uh, the VFX people. This is in the planning stages, and he had all these ideas. And he's like, "Oh, can you do this thing where you do it like this?" And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 we can do that." And he was like, "Oh, okay." Can you do this thing where like we do that? And they were like, yeah, 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 we can do that. And he was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then he said, what if it was like, I don't know, liquid metal and it was walking through fire and they're like, we don't know how to do it. I want that. I want that. <laughs> I want the thing you don't know how to do. Figure it out. And I, and you can kind of see that. Like, it, but that's it, him. He didn't do anything that's been done before because that's boring. Right. Exactly. And now to answer your question in regards to the script, I don't care what anyone says about his, his writing, his script. Every one of his films, I mean, Titanic and Avatar, Avatar made two point some billion dollars at the box office. It wasn't from marketing. It wasn't from – you don't make a movie that big on a franchise that is not a franchise. You have to educate the people about it. So it's a non-existing IP. And he was able to do that purely on spectacle to a certain extent. But in the world that we live in, spectacle only takes you so far. If the visual effects – we are, it's not like Jurassic Park. Where you were like, oh my God, there's dinosaurs. Like we're past that stage at this point. So for whatever reason, and he might be tapping into something that we don't understand, maybe never will, that hit a chord 
internationally with so many people that it generated 2.7 billion or whatever it did. That doesn't make it, it doesn't make it a good script. I mean, he's a good director and he's very good with concepts. He's very good with the two, but the point, but the point, and now it's perception, but no, listen, I agreed, agreed. Whether you agree with it or not, excuse me, I don't agree. The thing is this, is it, look, is Shawshank Redemption a better script than Avatar? Absolutely. There's just no question. Is The Godfather a better script and movie than Avatar? Absolutely it is. Is Sausage Party a better script than Avatar? Yes. Nah, okay, maybe. <laughs> but the point, the point is this. It is the perception of the audience. He does not make movies for you to, or movies for me specifically in regards to like, is this a perfect script? If you go back and look at True Lies, if you go back and look at Aliens, if you go back and look at The Abyss, um, or even Titanic. People were like crapping on Titanic. People still crap on Titanic. But I can watch that movie any time of the day I'll watch it because of... Yeah, of- but my, my genuine question is, honestly, I mean this is a real question. Considering the unbelievable lengths he goes to in the way that he films them, the, the unbelievable, brilliant visual storytelling, the, 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 the digital stuff, so much of the, his movies are pushed to the most, the absolute limit. And then the script is written on a Thursday afternoon because he had nothing else to do and then locked. Like, wh- what on earth? Why aren't you putting it to, why isn't he got teams of writers? Why isn't he pulling it apart? Why isn't he doing what Pixar does to a script? Because he, the way he makes his films, he's able to tap into something that audiences react to, whether you agree with it or so not. It's, he it's perception. He doesn't. He doesn't have to make. Look, are Pixar movies arguably most of them amazing? Absolutely. Some of them are just, I mean, they're just masterworks. They're masterworks. The way he was able to, they're able to write their scripts and the system that they write it in, but. James Cameron writes, you know, writes Avatar the way it just it just touches people in a way that's unexplainable. If you look at the script, is it the best written script of all time? Absolutely not. It is but not. But why not? Why not? Because it is the best. But he doesn't have to. He doesn't. Oh, he doesn't have to. No, no. Wait a minute. He doesn't have to because he knows. Because in his mind, he has beaten it up. And in his mind, it is aiming at the audience that he wants to tell, the story that he wants to tell, and reacts to the message that he wants to get out is exactly what that script was for him. I don't think he's lazy. I don't think he's not doing the job. It's a perception issue. That's all it is. Just like Die Hard. I, well, he, he, all, all there's he, a lot, he, the only reason look, he made Titanic was so that he could get in a ship and go down and look at the real one. I hey, think he look, likes playing with toys. You know what? Michael Bay plays with a lot of toys, and his films can't hold a candle to any. <laughs> Of James That's Cameron's very films. true. Also, I'm 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 enjoying this. Okay, listen, we're coming to the end of the podcast because yes. it'll be it'll literally be Christmas Day at some point. <laughs> so, some people, maybe just three or four people, and maybe one person who left it running by mistake, are listening to this right now. <laughs> uh, an yes. hour and a half in, we have to give them something special. I have no idea what, but thank you. Uh, I don't know what's going on in your lives that you have dedicated two hours to this, and I'm deeply yes. sorry, but I am appreciative. So. We have to bring it back to Die Hard. We have to say a thank you and a Merry Christmas to the people listening. But what can we give them? What can we? Um, what, what wisdom can we give them that they no one else is going to get? This is exclusive to them. Okay, so this is the this is the um, this is the order of which you need to watch Die Hard films if you're going to watch them. One, 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 three, one, 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 three. Okay, so obviously one many times, but <laughs> one, three, four, two. 
And then if you want to keep going down the path, you watch the other two at, at your leisure. But that's uh, that would be where I would – that's how I would watch them okay, in I, order. I would suggest that you watch them in a marathon, that you drink heavily, and you go – one, three, four, five, two. Because by the time you get to five and two, you'll probably be in the right state to watch them. <laughs> and every time, every time he says, uh, every time they say the word "gun," you yes. uh, you take a shot. <laughs> exactly. And 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 just before the second one starts, you take three shots. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh God! But uh, but arguably one and three are their masterworks. I love three. I think three was fantastic. Three is a great movie. I really enjoyed it as a kid. I've watched it as an adult and it's good. I, I do enjoy it. It's, it doesn't transcend. So few films do. And obviously that's not the criteria for a good movie transcendence, mm. but the idea of, you know, stepping out of just being a good time into something. Okay. So meaningful. I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask two questions of you and then I'll answer them as well. And this is where we'll, right. we'll leave it. Um, f- your top five Christmas movies of all time and your top five eighties action films of all time. Oof. Well, Die Hard is topping both those lists, but that's cheating, I guess. I think Elf is an unbelievably brilliant movie. Like I, I watched it. I think I avoided it when it first came out. And I just so didn't good. think it was for me. So and I, the first time I watched it, because I think I'd watched it after reading screen, uh, screenwriting books and things and thought, okay, I should watch it. And I was like, this is so good. And it even has a moment where he looks like he's going to kill himself. And, and it's so universal. It's so quotable, you know, oh. uh, and it's, you know, hi, I'm Elf. What's your favorite color? I actually, I want to answer the phone like that every day. Um, it's got two stars in it who were both brilliant, but weren't as well known as they are now. Right. With, you know, and I just, that movie hits me every time. And, and I sort of keep it back. I don't watch it too often, you know, maybe once a year. Uh, just so that I can really truly appreciate it and not make it too familiar. Um, I think Home Alone is is as a kid, you know, I, I had it as a video, uh, as a VHS, and mm-hmm. I love the idea of it. I think it's not aging too well insofar as it's as a kid you just go with it. As an adult, you know, the violence is slightly shocking. But you know, yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's 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 cartoon violence. It's it's yeah. not. It, there's no real damage done. So it's kind of like it's kind of like Marx Brothers or Three Stooges kind of violence. Yeah, it, although it feels slightly more real just because of the deep, powerful performance Joe Pesci gives, oh, um, and Daniel Stern, both of them. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, he's in it. Um, <laughs> ah, come on, that scream! Ah, that's amazing. Come on, his scream is the best. Okay, I'll give you that three seconds of screen time. Um, yes, I think. Uh, I, I, I tell you what, I think Love Actually is an awful oh, movie. You think, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, what was that? It's an awful movie. It's okay, terrible. Okay, I, we're just going to we're, we're end this right now. I mean, if, no, you, no, can't, no, no, if no. you can't Love Actually, I mean, come on. No, no, but it's cheating because it's got loads of half stories and moments. Of course you're going to like little bits of it because it's the best bits. It's like going, um, instead of having a proper meal, oh, I know like what <laughs> two or three things off everyone's plate. You're going to get sick at the end. You're eating all the sweets and all the candy. Like it's just not, it's no, it's lazy because it's got no through line. It's just loads of fun things. Like here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing. And then, and some of them are just, I mean, also this, the, the Colin Firth story is just a bit weird. But I tell you what, the, the Laura Linney thing is some of the best uh, story and performance I've seen in such a long time. And that moment with Emma Thompson and the Christmas, oh, present, it oh. justifies the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just the most hot, you know, I, I saw her on a plane, um, not long ago. I didn't talk to her obviously because I'd be really mean, but, um, 
when I, I saw her and the first thing that flashed in my head, all of the things she's done. And I think she's terrific as a writer. She's incredible as a performer. She's brilliant. She seems like a lovely person. But the thing that came to me in my head was just that moment, that one shot where her performance destroys you. And yeah. yet she does it. And I just, that will, I mean that for that moment alone, Obviously, there's loads of fun things in the movie as well. I do like the bit on the bench where I sort of, you know, I'm in love. Oh, that's fantastic. Wait, didn't you hear what I just said? Oh, yeah, good point. That's terrible. That's kind of sweet. I mean, un- unnatural, but mm. sweet. <laughs> um, so, also, that thing with Kira Knightley is just creepy. Talk about aging poorly. Oh, like that, that's that, that's, that is stalkerish. That's oh. just, yeah. Also, it's all done as a cute thing. Like, it's it's like, oh, don't worry. It's you're You're a man. You're allowed to be like this. Like, no. Okay. 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 So what are the, other, what are the next ones? Uh, so I think bad Santa's kind of incredibly Christmassy. I think it's kind of fun. Okay. I think, um, uh, it's, I, I'm not sure I'd watch it many times, but it's definitely fun. And then the last one, you have to go with the Muppets Christmas Carol because wow. the Muppets make anything better. Uh, well, obviously if you add the Muppets to anything, it does make it better. I mean, there's no question. Um, all right. So I will, I will, I will concur that Die Hard is on the list. Uh, in no particular order, I would say Scrooged with Bill mm-hmm, Murray. Mm-hmm. Very good. Fantastic film. Uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say the, fa- I'm going to say the family man. I love the family man. I don't care what you say. I love the Family Man, and I'm. I'll say you know, I'm very proud. This is very, being recorded, Alex. You, I understand. I'm very proud of it. I'm no, very no, no, proud. No, no, you're on the record at the moment. I, I've been it. on the. I was on the record when I interviewed the writers. Yes, there were writers on that movie. Yes, and it did very well. It's there's nothing very well. right. There's nothing right. Even about though, movie. even though it was directed by Brett Ratner, which I still think it wasn't. I think it was somebody else who did it because there's way too much heart in that film that Brett Ratner would direct it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> I would say. Uh, so what is that three? Uh, I would say Love Actually would probably be another one on that list. And I would say it's a tie between Elf and The Holiday because I love The Holiday as well. I've never seen it. I know of it, but I have never seen it. It's a, it's a wonder, it's really a wonderful film as well. Those, those, oh, those, it's a wonderful life. No, I don't, I, don't life. Like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it. I watched it. I recently watched it again. I was like, I, I don't get it. I'm sorry, everybody who hates it uh, hates me for saying that. I just don't get it. I don't think anyone hates you for it. I think everyone just feels for you, Alex. You know what's going on <laughs> in your life. And I'm not. Also, I'm, I'm very depressed. I'm very. Uh, who, who hurt you? Who, who hurt you? <laughs> that, that this. This is. We, we can get them. Don't worry. We can. We, we maybe we should have a session about this later. Uh, but yes, oh, I think uh, you should definitely talk to somebody. about Maybe this, I should watch it again. But I've watched it twice, and both times I was just like, okay, okay, sure. Sure. Uh, it just doesn't, uh, I, you know, I would rather watch Nightmare Before Christmas or Home Alone without question. Yeah. Okay. But that's, you know, there's, there's very few things in the world I would like to do more than I'd like to watch Home Alone. So that's, you know, it's whether you'd watch nothing than anyway. Yeah. Uh, I would watch nothing. I would watch nothing rather than watching. Okay. Uh, your question about 80, the best eighties action movies. I have yes. a, uh, I have a process question. Do you count the two Indiana Jones films as one choice or two on my list? Ooh, um, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give them to you as a oneer. We'll, we'll give okay. it to you as a oneer because I because I know because there's well, all right. It's a hard because yeah. they're they're a marathon. You know, they are a movie together. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah, and also because you said 80s, we don't have to include the Crystal Skull madness. So that's good. <laughs> uh, that's a relief. If we, I'm glad you added the time frame because that's just Please, 80s. It has so to be 80s, easier. 80s, 80s. All right. So obviously, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. 
the original Terminator is just uh, oh. so much better than it needs to be. Like mm-hmm. it's just such a sl- schlocky idea at a schlocky time with a low budget and uh, it had nothing going for it. And it, everyone involved made it so brilliant mm-hmm. uh, that it's just terrific. Um, I think you were talking before about John McClane uh, being Jesus. Uh, I think you meant Robocop. Obviously, uh, obviously Robocop. Yeah, I think uh, the 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 because the, I rewatched that. Um, it's, I so saw the, it's so good. I didn't realize how good it was because I it's saw it as a kid so and, I, and I obviously I really enjoyed it. But then I rewatched it when it was I it was re released or I think I saw it in a cinema. Oh no, I saw it at like Soho House, one of those screenings that was just like, "Do you want to come along?" I was like, "All right, fine." And I took a friend of mine who uh, is someone I've worked with before, who's sort of in his late twenties and had never seen this version. And both of us came out for obviously he'd never seen it, so he was like, "Oh wow, actually that was really good." And I came out going, "Yeah, actually, I I thought it would be sillier, um, and actually it was yeah really quite profound." Um, it's 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 such a, it is such a social commentary with it, it, it hidden inside of an insane action film. Uh, and then I think uh, the best 80s action film, better than Die Hard, mm-hmm. better than Diana Jones, mm-hmm. better even than Commando, has to be The Empire Strikes Back. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disavow, not disavow, <laughs> I'm not going to allow Empire Strikes Back because that is a sci-fi action. So because then you could throw aliens in there as well. Um, as, but I would say I, I'm go- you have another choice. If, if, if I agree with you, it's on the list of the top five films of the '80s without question. But let's let's keep keep the genre as pure as possible. Though Predator, I would argue, is much more action than it is a sci-fi film. But that's just that me. makes sense. All right. Well, uh, Return of the Jedi. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> well, we'll ignore Death Wish one, two, and three. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. And- and also Raw Deal and, and, and oh, Invasion Raw USA. Oh, Raw Deal. Wow. But Invasion USA. Jesus. What are we going to go into? Amer- no. America Ninja? America Ninja? What are we going? Let's uh, L- Blood Sport? Lone, Lone Wolf McQuaid? No. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go for <laughs> Batman. Okay. Okay. The Tim Burton Batman. Okay. All right. Oh, I- shit. I forgot one. Can I have a bonus one, please? Sure. The Running Man. Oh, so good. It's so good. That's such a good movie. That's such, and basically, basically predicted uh, the reality, the reality uh, genre in mm-hmm. general. Uh, and it hasn't gotten too far away from killing people on screen. So I would argue that my top five is Die Hard, Predator, mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. um, Terminator 2. Uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's I feel it well don't forget 84 I was in fourth grade 89 I was in 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 high school so arguably Terminator 2 had a much bigger impact are you arguing film numbers with me I am I'm arguing it from the point of view of when I watched it it had much bigger impact on me in 89 when I was working at a video store than I was in fourth grade in 84 which I didn't see it so, well, I, I was born in 82, so I haven't seen any of these films in the 80s. So you're much younger than me. So um, <laughs> thank you for – thank you, sir. You have an old soul. That, that, that is because you brought in Terminator 2 to a list of 80s movies and just made the mockery of the whole concept. Okay, so it's Terminator 2. All right, so there's four of them. And I said Lethal Weapon, right? So Lethal Weapon, yeah. Predator, Die Hard. Um, and I want to say – 
Um, I mean, the Indiana Joneses are a good, always a good, uh, always a good pick. But you know, I, I'm I'm gonna go out off genre a little bit, and you could kind of argue it's still a little heavier on the sci-fi. But I'm gonna say Aliens, man. I think Aliens is so 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 good that it is good. But if you're gonna start picking films that you've disavowed yourself, <laughs> then you're just what's the I'm point? T- I think this podcast well, should end now. I think this has been a supreme waste of your time and mine. I, I think didn't realize so. we, were, we were playing so disingenuously. I'm hurt. <laughs> You know, I may be the reigning champion, but I'm not coming back. I can see oh, my it's... guests don't do this. This is outrageous. I'm writing a strong letter of complaint. <laughs> to me? How, how awesome. dare you, sir? How dare, how, you? how dare you, sir? How dare you? I shall now go drink some tea. So I would quite like uh, Film Tribe. Please email Alex and inform him both what, when the 80s ended and also what, that what, he, what, first of all, is not an action film. First of all, okay, now we can have a whole other episode about aliens actually being an action film. But yeah, secondly, okay. it, it is. I'll, I'll I, mean, I mean, it is. It's 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 Rambo: First Blood Part Two. Um, yeah. Basically, well, that's you know that's why there's Marines and aliens. You yeah. know that, right? Yeah, because he Cameron yeah. wrote, Cameron wrote Rambo. I don't know people. A lot of people know that Cameron wrote Rambo uh, Part Two, which is also arguably an insanely wonderful action film. Um, and we could just start going down the line of no, 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 no. We haven't but, got time for that. Uh, no, we'll we don't. Until next Christmas. Next Christmas, we'll do same bat time, same bat channel. We'll we'll find <laughs> we'll find um, we'll, we'll we'll do another Christmas special. Maybe we'll start doing this yearly, Stephen. Uh, I think this would be <laughs> well. It, it'll take the full year for me to do the work and then for us to talk for three days. But uh, <laughs> but all jokes aside. Merry Christmas, Alex. Yeah, oh, Merry Thank Christmas. It's been really fun. And uh, and uh, to everyone listening, thanks for, you know, supporting Alex and the work he does. And also for just joining us on a, on a rather mad ramble, uh, which had very little to do with Die Hard. But, That's not true. Uh, if, we, if we go back to the tapes, we can actually, if you want to do the stats on it, we spoke about Die Hard most of the time. Uh, my memory is that you spoke mostly about your inexplicable love for the family man. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Honestly, it's sir. not too late. Just cut it out. No one will know. No, no, it no, will no. Be fine. no, 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 no. I stand by my, I stand by it, sir. I stand by Nicolas Cage at Christmas time. Well, first of all, did you hear about that new Nicolas Cage movie, which is called Pig? Where he, no. he's chasing, he's, he's in search of a truffle pig that someone stole from him. Let this be, let his later <laughs> career be a lesson to anyone who thinks they can evade taxes. This is what happened. This, this is Wesley Snipes. This, pay your taxes, ladies and gentlemen. Otherwise, you will have the same fate. Yes, thank you, Stephen, for uh, for coming on. Merry Christmas! And if Merry for anyone, Christmas, and for everyone. anyone listening, stop listening to us and go talk to your family. Yeah, you may not like them, but they're the only ones you got. Go talk to them. <laughs> Thanks. Bye bye. Well, the verdict is in, and Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. It's undeniable. You can't argue the facts. And now you have so much ammo to debate anybody at the next Christmas party on whether Die Hard is or is not a Christmas movie. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I I truly like to geek out every once in a while. I I always talk so much about business and the craft and, and, you know, doing all the serious stuff about filmmaking and building a business and being a film entrepreneur and all of that stuff. But, you know, under all of this, guys, after under all this shrapnel, there lives a film geek a 15-year-old kid who worked at a video store and has seen thousands and thousands of movies. I am a film geek, I am a cinephile, and I like geeking out like anybody else. So every once in a while, I'm going to bring somebody on 
and we're going to geek out about stuff. But I, I hope this episode really was enjoyable to you guys. I really hope that this Christmas gift to the tribe was enjoyed by all. Now, if you want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, including including that insane article proving all of this data and breaking down all this data for Die Hard as a Christmas movie that Stephen wrote, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 367 for the show notes. And for the members of Indie Film Hustle TV, we have brand new courses that I just uploaded, including Story Blueprint, The Hero's Two Journeys, an hour-long breakdown of the story and script of Aaron Brockovich by Michael Haig and Chris Vogler, and it's available for purchase or part of the subscription. And if you want to check all that out, plus a bunch of new stuff that I have coming up, including exclusive film entrepreneur training that I am working on right now that would hope, hopefully will be done by the beginning of next year, and I'm going to be adding new courses and new mini courses on film entrepreneur, on micro-budget filmmaking, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'll be working on on Indie Film Hustle TV. So check it out. Head over to ifhtv.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Merry, Merry Christmas. Have a great holiday season, and I wish you and your family a fantastic new year. Thanks again, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And yippee-ki-yay, mother! Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.